Hi, this is Amanda. And this is Lindsay. We're True Creeps. Where the stories are true. And the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore. To the possibly plausible paranormal. To horrifying history. To tense and terrible true crime. And everything else that goes bump in the night. We want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, everybody. As promised, today is our second Bridgewater Triangle episode. So I'm excited. It's going to get more weird. It's going to get weirder, which I'm very excited about. And I feel like each time it also gets a little bit darker. But this one's more weird than anything else because it's cryptids and some other stuff, but mostly cryptids today. We got a lot of things. We got aliens. We got weird swamps. We got stuff. We got lots of stuff. So you don't have to listen to the first episode before this one, but you might want to. We're going to cover some of the the basics real quick before we get into the episode. But there is a Bridgewater one, (laughs) if you want to take a look at that. So and it goes into the background, which will help you understand why it might be weird. Yeah. So the Bridgewater Triangle is located in southeast Massachusetts. And the area was first coined Bridgewater Triangle by Lauren Coleman in his 1983 book, mysterious america and he was obviously inspired by the bermuda triangle which who isn't inspired by the bermuda triangle coleman established some loose boundaries of the bridgewater triangle but one of the things that i find very interesting about this is that a lot of people who study the triangle talk about it expanding and how they don't really trust those the original boundaries that he had set forth which to me is fascinating so it's like the bridgewater triangle ish right? It's stressful. Like it's getting bigger. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. When and how do you stop it? That's what we need to do. You cannot. It cannot be stopped. (laughs) So Coleman described the Bridgewater Triangle as a, quote, window area of unexplained occurrences. We mentioned it a moment ago, but in our first episode, we do have some more background information about the Bridgewater Triangle, like the history of King Philip's War, as well as various locations, including the Taunton State Hospital, which was very interesting. Yeah. And we're going to have more episodes about the Bridgewater Triangle. So if you have experiences in the Bridgewater Triangle or around it because it can't be stopped, please send them to us because we'd love to include them in future episodes. Yeah. And someone actually did reach out. And I watched their interview. It was great. I'll bring them up in a bit. Yeah. And stick around to the end of today's episode because it's been a moment since we've talked about our Patreon peers. We talked about Patreons, but not we haven't broken down all the tiers. So we're going to chat a little bit about that. And we also had our game night recently, which was so much fun. And I loved being able to hang out with some of our patrons. Yeah. And thank you to those that joined us. I had a blast that night. That was really fun. Yeah. And we just uh, today announced when our next one will be. Yeah. It's going to be Friday the 13th in May. So you have until that date to join us on our next one. Yes. So let's move on. Let's talk about this triangle. The first place we're going to visit within our triangle is Hockamock Swamp. So it comprises a large section of South Boston's wetlands, and it's about 5,000 acres. It has the most occurrences in the swamp. And for how big it is, it spans several towns. There are a thousand plus graves. So speaking of graveyards... There is a graveyard within the triangle called Cochesset Graveyard. It's a little cemetery before you get to the Route 106 exit off of Route 24. And something I learned is that it's just the headstones and there's no bodies there because the bodies were left on Route 24. And when they built Route 24, they actually moved the headstones, but not the bodies. Why? I don't know. Probably because it's work. Here's my thing. Like, I get that it's hard work, but like, don't do that. Don't don't be that much of an asshole. 
Yeah. I was researching more about the triangle and like looking at some of them. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. Yeah. So before it was a swamp, it was a glacier. And after King Philip's War, Native Americans hid in the swamp and they knew the area much better. So within the swamp, there are consistent reports of feeling watched and just all over eerie feelings. There's also lots of Bigfoot sightings that happen here. I do love a Bigfoot sighting. You know I love a Sasquatch. (laughs) You do. You do. And we'll talk about Bigfoot more in a bit. And by a bit, we mean at the end because we're saving the best to last. So there's also an area called the Nip, which is Lake Nipponecket. And it's thought of as one of the more active areas of the swamp in terms of basically anything paranormal. They're seeing cryptids, there's ghosts, there's phantom fires, there's apparitions, there's all the things. And we're going to get into each of these in a bit. But people have seen massive birds, red-eyed dogs, big cats, and even massive snakes. There have been numerous drownings and accidents in the area. And the water is only eight foot in its deepest sections. So those drownings are a little bit strange because it's not like the water is that deep. That's pretty deep for short people, Lindsay. I mean, as a short person, yes, I agree. (laughs) But like, I feel like if it's deep, it's deepest sections are eight feet. I would imagine that most of it's not eight feet, you know? Yeah, that's true. So James Water Rice, who wrote The Still, which is an anthology of short stories inspired by the things he experienced growing up in the Bridgewater Triangle, had some experiences in the nip. And he said that he and his friends hung out there near the swamp and they saw what looked like a canoe and they thought that it was a hunter or a fisher. And then they started seeing lights in the clearing and like around the boat. And they said they were just baseball sized lights floating over the river that changed different colors. They went from red to orange to blue. And what's very strange is that Rice said that the lights seemed to be sentient and that they wanted to be seen. He even went so far as to suggest that they were playing. So another thing that people are seeing out there is something called a puckwudgie. <laughs> it's another fun name. And in the Wampanoag and other southern New England nations, puckwudgies are mischievous and dangerous creatures who may play harmless tricks or even help a human neighbor. But they're also just as likely to maybe steal your children (laughs) or even commit (laughs) deadly acts of sabotage. So you don't know what's coming. Just a casual child thieving, if you will. I don't like that. Yeah. In some Wampanoag stories, Puckwudgies were enemies of Mashop and were responsible for his death or even the death of his sons. And Mashop was a mythical hero and giant from Wampanoag folklore. I saw a couple stories. It was very interesting. Yeah. And the way I'm describing Puckwudgies here is based off of just what the lore is in the Bridgewater Triangle. However, they are found in a lot of different places, and each place kind of has like their own version of a Puckwudgie. So I'm only touching on the one within this triangle here. Yeah. Puckwudgies labor under a curse, and they can't directly attack their prey. So what they do instead is they entice them or they lure them into the forest before attacking. So it's like easier for them to do so. However, they're only normally about three to four feet tall. Okay, so they're they're little guys. They're little guys, yeah. And they can use balls of light to either lead you deep into the forest or draw you towards something dangerous. So sometimes they'll like mess with people and it's said that they'll play with these balls of light and you're concentrating on the ball of light that you continue walking towards it and then you fall off a cliff. Oh, dang. Yeah, they get intense. Wow. 
So I watched an interview with a man named Bill Russo. And in 1995, Bill and his dog Sam went for a walk around 1 a.m. And he lived near the swamp. And Sam, the dog, started pulling on the leash and was like starting to cry and just looked super stressed and then was starting to pull towards home. So Bill, you know, is like looking around like, what is going on with you? And then he started hearing something say, here, here. And it just sounded weird. So, you know, he's looking around, he's trying to calm his dog down. And then all of a sudden he sees a little creature walk in front of them. And the creature was about three to four feet tall. And he said something along the lines of, here, we want you. But like in a creepy little like gremlin-like voice. And at first he was like, maybe it's a kid? Like just playing some weird joke? Yeah. Or then he's like looking at it more and he's like, is it a small animal? Like there's a lot of different various animals that live in the area. But as he was staring at it, it was just too different. And he knew like, it's not an animal. It's not a child. It's like nothing he had seen before. So they made kind of like a circle around it so that they could get back on track and go home. And he recalls staying up all night after this experience because it just shook him to his core and in the interview he's like i just kept drinking coffee and just like reflecting like had i walked close to it or had i like explored it a little bit more perhaps i wouldn't be alive today that is chilling right like and you think of like this little three four foot thing but like if it lures you into the forest it's creepy right well and also i wonder if it's like the idea of like oh it's just this tiny thing that makes it seem not quite so ominous Right. You're like, well, it's just this short little thing. It couldn't take me at like my five or six feet tall, depending on how tall you are. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know what it kind of reminds me of is the Kushtaka that we talked about. (laughs) The otter ones from Alaska? Kind of. Remember how they try to lure people into the wilderness? Yes, I do. Kind of gives me that vibe where it's something that shouldn't be necessarily terrifying. But then like if you follow them, bad things happen. Okay. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down. Yeah, it kind of has that vibe. It's just I can't imagine anything but that like buff otter when you bring up the Kishtaka. (laughs) I more think like when they would uh, like call out and like lure people in to them. Mm -hmm. More that not, you know, buff otter. Nope. Buff otter only. (laughs) Who's your favorite of the otters? Of course. Who else would be my favorite? I don't know any other otter stories. Someone (laughs) has to know some otter otter stories. That was dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So in 2008, there was a group of paranormal explorers who were in Hockamock Swamp near an area called The Ledge because it's a giant ledge. And there were a few different interesting people in this group. There was a psychic named Maureen. There was Chris Balzano, who was an author and researcher for paranormal stuff that kind of happens in the Bridgewater Triangle. And there's also Andrew Lake, who's in lots of interviews about the Bridgewater Triangle. And he was actually operating the camera that night. So the psychic starts to thrash and From Andrew's perspective, it looks like she's being attacked. What's interesting is in the Bridgewater Triangle documentary that's on Amazon Prime, it's described that people thought that she was being possessed by a Pukwudgie. And there's video footage of the instance. She's growling and hissing. And they try to perform a Pukwudgie exorcism on her. And they even say, leave this body. It's not your own. 
to her. And they have to tackle her down to the ground to do this because she's like kind of all over the place. She was thrashing hard. Yeah. And of all the places that one could do this near a ledge where you could fall and die is not where you want to be doing this. So Andrew Lake, when he was looking at the footage later that night, he said that hovering in the background, he saw a creature's face in the bushes and he thinks that it could have been a Pukwudgie. So it's interesting how there's two different versions of events. Like one, maybe she was being attacked by a Pukwudgie. And then the other is maybe she was possessed by a Pukwudgie, which both are wild to me. And yeah, terrifying. Terrifying. And I think it's interesting that it seems like both people got to the same cryptid, although a different interaction with said cryptid. Yeah, it was very interesting because I watched an interview with Andrew talking about it and he pulls up the footage and he focuses on this bush and you just see this weird demon-like creature face in the background. And he's like, this is what we believe to be a Pukwudgie. And I was like, okay, yikes. I guess if I would have had that footage, that would have just really stressed me out and I would probably not go back. I mean, that's very fair. So let's move on and up and talk about UFOs. On and up. You like that? <laughs> on and up. I like it. I like it. So in 1908, two undertakers were driving a carriage and they saw something that looked like a bright lantern in the sky. And it was Halloween. And during that time, there were various different sightings throughout different spaces in the Bridgewater Triangle of people seeing that same bright lantern looking thing in the sky. In this 1960s, there were also a lot of sightings. And then it happened again in the early 70s. So from everything that we saw, these happened in kind of clusters. So it's not like once a week, everybody's seeing something. It's like once a decade, it seems. Yeah. And in the 70s, they describe them as silver, massive ships. I would be interested to see how people describe them at different times based on what people thought UFOs look like at those times. Right? Right? Yeah, that makes sense. I think that would be an interesting like look at like looking at every single alien sighting and saying, well, what did people think of aliens? Like, was it was it a thing? Because that 1908 sighting, maybe they were like, there's a fire in the sky. Weird. <laughs> right. And then it slowly turned to like flying saucers. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And there's one that we'll talk about where they described it in a way that I haven't really heard before. Yeah, yeah, some different ones. Yeah, in spring of 1979, that was the most prevalent time for UFO sightings. And at the corner of Route 106 and Route 24 at the edge of Hockamock Swamp, very close to where that cemetery is that I discussed earlier, law enforcement and local media were inundated with reports of UFOs. Local reporters were going to the dog track when they noticed a bright light above the tree line. As they got closer, it got bigger. And some say that it was as big as a football field. That's massive. That's a mothership level ship. It is. And I haven't heard of any sort of UFO being described in that fashion, that big. Yeah. And I find that UFO sightings that describe ships in novel ways to be more credible than it was a flying saucer, which I mean, there's a reason why we think flying saucer. And it's because people believe they saw an alien in that way. But I don't know. I just find them more credible when they aren't just your average flying cookie cutter. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So the reporters spoke with one another. And when they pulled the car over, there was a massive diamond shaped structure reported there was a wire with sparks shooting off of it. And they said there was a light beneath the ship. And that's what they had originally saw. 
One of them had been in the Air Force, and they didn't recognize the aircraft as something that they were familiar with. Over the course of the next few weeks, people saw the same thing, and it was also reported on. So like when multiple people are reporting the same thing, again, like I feel like that gives credibility too when they're all calling in around the same time saying, I see this. Yeah. So a lot of them shared their own experience with what they had seen, and newspapers reported it, and they gathered 30 different reports. And everyone described the same thing. Yeah. And so Kristen Evans, a Bridgewater Triangle historian, has also seen a UFO herself. She said that they are the fireball type and that they look almost like a planet or a star that moves erratically and they can disappear or appear. And that's the predominant UFO that's seen there. Some even say that they've landed in the swamp. When I hear fireball in the sky, do you know what I think of? What do you think of? Dallas Pass. Because the people in the neighboring town saw fire in the sky around the time that the group went missing. True. So Ron Baker, who had a sighting of a UFO, said he was leaving work and that he had saw a big shadow of something in the sky. And the more he looked at it, he was able to more discern a shape and it looked like a triangle. And then he said it was the size of two football fields and that he could hear an engine and hum from the back. And I just I don't think I feel understand the size of a football field like enough to be able to be like why that's two football fields you know what i love and i saw a meme on it earlier is someone said americans will use anything but the metric system to measure something yeah and we're like it's football fields big yeah two football fields big So Derek Holt also had a sighting in March of 2011, and he said that he saw a UFO and captured video footage. So it looks like a light that was moving, but it's just darkness with a tiny light in the middle. It's, it's kind of strange to look at. And he said the orbs would change colors, which we heard earlier, right? And that sometimes they would morph into an aircraft and zoom off. Weird. So that kind of like defies logic in my brain, right? Like... That these orbs become an aircraft? Yeah. They just kind of morph into it? I mean, what do I know about? I'm no I'm no alien scientist. But that defies logic, physics, all of these things to me. I mean, who knows what they can do, Lindsay? Who knows? Well, I want to tell you about probably the most terrifying experience with aliens that I've heard. And it's from twins, Audrey and Debbie Hewins. And they moved from Ohio into the Triangle when they were kids. And who does this sound like? They moved there because their dad said God told him to. Ooh, I got Dave vibes. For sure. So one night, the girls were sleeping. They woke up to a really weird sound. And they described it as like they heard a steady hum. And it kept getting louder and then softer, then louder, then softer as it got closer. Okay. The room then filled with a pale bluish light. And remember, there's two of them. So they're both experiencing the same thing. They then saw shadows coming into their room. They couldn't quite see it right away. I don't like this. And they said that they were hit with what they called a vibrating paralysis. Ah, I don't know. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It gets worse. And then they were elevated off the bed. This sounds like a quintessential alien movie, does it? Does it not? Does it not? It definitely does. And watching these women talk about it, you like see how fearful they still are. Yeah. So... During this, one of the girls said that whatever they were doing to them gave them the ability to pass through solid objects. So they were like, we could go through a window. We could go through like the way that they were describing it. They were like ghost-like in a sense as they're hovering. Do you ever watch the show The Flash? A little bit of it, yeah. Okay, so, or I mean, The Flash or the movie or any anything that has The Flash in it, the speed in which he moves 
when using the speed force. Nerd vibes. Um, he's able to like pass through objects because he's like vibrating, if you will. Yeah. So it's interesting that they kind of talk of this vibrating paralysis and then their ability to pass through solid matter when maybe it's that like their molecules were like buzzing. Right, right. Um, look, man, I'm not a physicist. I'm not a, a physicist scientist. I can't make it fit, but I'm not a physicist, so I don't think I could. I don't even know if that's the right science to be able to explain what's happening here. But whatever this is, we're not the scientist for it. Uh, whatever it is, I'm not the one. <laughs> well, then they saw a craft above their home and they were brought to it slowly. So again, kind of like out of the movies, right? Mm-hmm. And from this point forward, they don't say how many times this happened. But it sounds like it happened to them a lot. Oh, no. So they mentioned that each morning that it would happen, they would wake back up in their beds and then they'd have blurred memories of what happened. They would also often have injuries from it. Another resident and friend of the girls said that she could see what a toll it was taking on them because every few months they would have some new injury and she just didn't know how to help them other than be there for them emotionally. Yeah. The girls also had bloody noses all the time. And one of the girls, Debbie, was also being teased at this time and being called Debbie Dent because she all of a sudden had dents in her head. What the fuck, man? And she said that it would even show on x-rays and they had no explanation on how that even happened. Oh, I don't I don't like it at all. Like also, could you imagine being their parent and knowing something is going on, but not understanding it? Because whether you believe this was aliens or something else, like clearly these young girls were going through trauma, like severe trauma. Yes. So both of them decided that they would journal about it and they would write down what they remembered and they draw what they remembered. And their mom ended up finding one of the journals and at first thought, oh, it's just active imagination. And then they talked to their parents about what was happening. And the reaction they got from their father was just that he was scared and he just didn't want to have anything to do with it. He didn't want to talk about it when they brought it up. I mean, I I can understand like the urge to do that. But like, these are your kids. Like, you don't get to tap out when things get hard. So as they grew into adults, it got worse. And they contacted a man named Chris Pittman, who ran a UFO website. And he was like, okay, let's unlock these memories. I know it's going to be hard. It's going to be horrible. But let's try it. And so he used something called progression hypnosis. And it's used when trauma may cause memories to be hidden. And he said their memories and experience were frightening. Have you ever been hypnotized? Like, not really. I think we used to play a game in like elementary school that, you know, let's hypnotize each other. But like, I don't think so. What about you? Uh, I had some repressed memories that I was trying to unlock in my early 20s. And so I saw a hypnotherapist like relatively frequently for a small period of time. And it's very interesting because I think you have this version, like this idea of what it is of like, you're not present, you're not there, you don't know what someone's doing to you. It's nothing like that. When it's it's more like you're in a trance, but like, what does it mean to be in a trance? Like, I was fully aware 100% of the time, knew every word that she said. I was cognizant in the whole process. So it wasn't like, you know, someone like swinging a necklace back and forth. Right, right. Yeah. It was like she talked in a very calm voice and she said things like, we're walking through our woods. And she could. I asked her later, like, well, how do you like, how do you know that I'm in a trance? Yeah. And she's like, there are like physiological symptoms of you being in a trance. Like you'll see eye twitching. You'll see like 
fingers kind of like moving, but not purposefully, it's very apparent to the other person that you are in a trance, which I find fascinating. Yeah. Because I feel like I, before that kind of shrugged it off, like it didn't, it didn't work because I wasn't ready to unlock those memories like in my own self. And so I wasn't like, it's hypnosis's fault. I was more like, okay, (laughs) but it was a very interesting experience. Yeah, I think we brought it up, too, when we were talking about um, Texas Killing Field, that one of the women was hypnotized to get more information about what happened to her. Yeah. So, I mean, he says it was very frightening. And so I can't even imagine what they told him. So let's move, unfortunately, forward with more stuff that happened to them. One night in 2007, they had a more traumatic experience. Debbie woke up with a pressure on top of her head, and it felt like it was going to kill her. She believes that she then blacked out. Oh, no. Shortly after, they believe. It's kind of hard. The timeline might be a little muggy. Audrey felt something was wrong and she got out of bed. She realized while walking down the hallway that she was floating. And then she realized all of a sudden she was in the craft. Oh, no, 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 no. Right? It's just giving me chills. I hate it. So the girls remember being behind a screen with lights going over them. And they said it was kind of like an x-ray is what they guess. Okay. And they saw a lot of liquid-filled cylinders, and they were connected to machines. One looked like a gray-human hybrid that was infant-sized. You've seen the most recent season of American Horror Story. Well, if you've seen it, this is a recap. Yeah. So (laughs) this is all I text Lindsay the other day. But she said they were artificial gestation chambers. No fucking thank you. Forget what you said, but I'm like, yep. That's what I researched tonight. I think I said something to the effect of no th- fucking thank you. I was just like, <laughs> well, I don't I don't need to sleep ever again. No, it's fine. So Audrey woke up in the middle of a procedure and she was on a table and she said it felt like her ovary was being scraped. Debbie woke up the next morning sore and really scared. And she said it was the most aggressive encounter that she can remember. The girls then checked on each other as they did every time that they woke up with this feeling. And they both were all right. But of course, you know, sore and didn't feel very good. And then as they discussed it, they really truly believed that they were part of some sort of alien breeding. Audrey says that they have removed eggs from her, implanted embryos in her, and doctors have said that she has a lot of unexplained scarring and they don't know why and what could have caused it. I mean, it sounds like we know why. Yeah, but I mean, like from a doctor's perspective, they're going to be like, what happened? I don't know. Yeah. So she believes that they were being used to incubate the early stages of hybrids. Years later, Audrey believes that she might have even met one of these hybrid children while on the ship again. One experience, she woke up on the table in a room and she says that she was being suspended in what she could only describe as a gel-like liquid. Sounds weird. She's like, I don't know how to describe this. So like the Matrix kind of like jelly goo they're in. I guess that's what it sounds like to me. Not to be rude. Like that's just like the conceptual thing I can place it with. Yeah. So. While she was being suspended, she saw a small child that was maybe four to five years old in a blue lace old style dress. And the child had a large head with little bits of hair, but was mostly bald. And she had really big eyes. And she's like, I believe that she was a half human and a half gray. That's what she called the aliens is grays. Yeah. And they had some sort of connection. So she's like, as I'm looking at her, I felt like I knew her. We have a connection. And she believes that that might have been her daughter. 
like at one point she might have carried her or something happened. I like can't handle this. Like I normally I have funny things to say. I have nothing to say because aliens like fuck me up. And so like I hate this so much. Please continue. Yeah. Watching the interview, I'm just I had to like stop for a few minutes. I'm like, this is a lot. This is really stressful. This is very scary. So the girls do not know why they were part of the abductions, but they have also met others that took part in some of these experiences. And they say both men and women have had this happen or similar things happen to them. And then in 1997, they were at a venue and their brother's band was playing. So they're just, you know, hanging out, hanging out together, listening to their brother. And they look over and they see a familiar face and it was a man. And they had actually both remembered seeing him while on the ship and they were put into a room together briefly. And they can't remember more from that particular experience other than we know this guy. So they go over and they talk to him and he remembers them too. And the man's name was Matt Moniz. And at the time, he lived 22 miles away from where they lived when all of this was happening. And he remembered being in the room and talking to them. So just they all have this shared memory of this happening. Horrific. Horrific. Yeah. How fucking horrific. Ugh. So stressful. Yeah. So now that we've talked about UFOs, let's get the fuck away from UFOs and start talking about cryptids. So Lauren Coleman, who we discussed earlier, said that there's a cat called the Mansfield Mystery Cat. And so there are reports from 1993 of a large tan cat in the area. And it was described as being as large as a Great Dane and that it looked like a mountain lion. Some thought that it was an exotic pet that got out and others that there were panthers in the area, too. In 1993, the remains of a big cat were found off the turnpike in Easton. And it was an African several. And please don't think that this was the sort of the sightings because this cat was partially spotted. Hmm. Just a giant cat is kind of random because, like, there's so many different types of cats all around the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, like, we have giant cats. We have bobcats that hang out in our area. Yeah. And some people also call these big cats wampus cats. I like the name. Yeah. But keep that in mind as we continue. So let's also talk about some big snakes. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) There are really big snakes the size of a stovepipe per Coleman in the area. This is not common for New England. At one point in the 30s, when they saw these gigantic snakes, workers would flee the woods because they saw how absolutely massive they were. I liked how they were like, bye. And I could totally understand. Yeah. Goodbye. Yeah. I'm out. So there's also reports of Thunderbirds. And Thunderbirds are birds that are 8 to 12 feet long. Norton Police Sergeant Thomas Downey said he saw a Thunderbird. And it was 1971. And he said that it had a wingspan of 12 feet. He was driving down the road when he saw it. And he saw it near a hill called Bird Hill, which is funny. Lauren Coleman mentions that he doesn't he wasn't sure if Bird Hill was called that before or after the sighting. And Downey refused to have interviews about what he had seen. But what's very interesting is that there's a lot of overlapping sightings when people see Mothman or Thunderbirds because the wingspan's so big. Yeah. So there are other reports that discuss other types of quote unquote birds, sort of. So Kristen Evans, we brought her up earlier, and she's a Bridgewater Triangle historian. She was driving down the street one night when all of a sudden something hit her car. And at first she was like, it must have been a rock. So she pulls over to investigate what was going on. But when she looked, her entire windshield was then covered in yolk and 
giant pieces of shell. And she motioned to how big these huge pieces of shell would have been. They were like big. And she was like, the only thing I could think of with an egg this big is a dinosaur. Yeah. But okay. She went on her way. She went home. She went to bed. She was like, this is just weird. I don't know what to think. Well, the following morning, her mom said, you'll never believe what we saw last night. And I guess her mom and her friend were sitting outside in the backyard and they heard a bunch of crashes. And when they ran to see what it was, they said that they saw a pterodactyl. (laughs) (laughs) So they said that it had dangly legs and that it was massive. Could you imagine? I would flip out. I'd be like, I got to go back inside. I'd be like, all right, mom, I don't know what you've been doing, but sure. But to prove that it was indeed a pterodactyl, she was like, it was crashing through the trees. And if you go look, the trees are still broken. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she's like, I don't know what could have done that much damage flying through the trees. So I don't know. Maybe there's pterodactyls there. And and then, of course, it makes sense. She's like, well, perhaps it was a pterodactyl and it was a pterodactyl egg that hit my car. Maybe it was. And it all there also might be orangutans. That doesn't sound very scary. It doesn't, but it just adds strangeness. So many people told Lauren Coleman that they saw red-haired orangutan creatures on the island of the Nip. And they said that they weren't Bigfoot because they definitely had red fur and that they weren't as big as people say Bigfoot is. And the the people who reported this did not want their names shared publicly, which I mean, fair. (laughs) But lots of people also say that they hear sounds that would come from like monkeys or chimps or orangutan from the islands in the Nip. Which I don't like that. And that's just bizarre that we would have them there. (laughs) Yeah, it's not so much scary. It's just weird. Yeah, it's like, what? Why? But there's also been Bigfoot sightings. Yes. All right. So Bigfoot. It is time. (laughs) There have been lots of Bigfoot sightings. Bigfoot has been spotted near two ponds in Bridgewater, Claybanks 1 and Claybanks 2. Joseph DeAndre, a witness and an investigator, were in the woods near Claybanks because there might have been a Sasquatch. Joseph was facing the water when he had an overwhelming urge to turn around, which he thought was very strange. He asked out loud, why should I turn around? Which also seems very strange. Yeah. And then he heard back, turn around and you'll see me. I don't like that. He saw a Sasquatch. Dun, 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 Sasquatch. I never really think about them speaking. Never, never, ever have I heard. I mean, not to say that they don't exist, but I personally have not heard any stories about Sasquatch talking. Please pull Mike. Ask, ask Mike. Have you ever heard of a Sasquatch or a Bigfoot talking? No, never. What would you do if you did hear a Sasquatch speak? I would ask it how it's so good at hiding (laughs) that's a solid question fair fair (laughs) it's because he wants to join him (laughs) he's like how do i get off the grid like that how do can sir can you explain to me how to become a cryptid i would very much like to be this yeah (laughs) Yeah. because i'm a big fellow and i can't hide like that (laughs) solid 10 out of 10 So the way he describes it is it had long, dark hair, and he did not see its face. Okay, interesting. Yeah. Joseph thinks that something wanted him to see the Sasquatch so that he would investigate the Bridgewater Triangle. Something. He turned around to tell his friend to look, and when he turned, it was gone. So he's the only one that saw it then. Okay. He then formed the Bridgewater Triangle Exploration Team, and it's BTET. Betty. 
And it was formed in 1985. Also included in this team was a man named Mark Foster and then a guy named Tony. So what they would do is they would go into wooded areas with rifles and cameras to look for Sasquatch. Why do they want to hurt him? I don't. I think it was for protection. Let's hope. So after not finding anything, the group disbanded and Joseph then found the Paranormal Investigation Organization. And he's written lots about his experiences and he's been featured in local news stories. He's also credited with documenting a lot of reports of what has been seen in the swamp. Yeah. So interesting. He's done a lot. Yeah, he's a part of it. So John Baker also saw a Sasquatch and he was fur trapping in the swamp in the 1980s. And he said that he knew something large was following him. So he took his boat down a shallow area because he was in the swamp. And he said that the creature smelled like dirt and skunk. So he knew it wasn't human. Interesting. So another person that's talked about Bigfoot in this area is Mark Kolokosis. And he was nice enough to actually reach out on Instagram and talk to us a little bit about what he does for the Ridgewater Triangle. And he told me to check out one of his interviews. And it was a very interesting watch. So he's investigated the area and he's gotten some results. And then he talked about a couple of rumors. And I'd never heard this rumor before. But he said, if you take a large branch and you bang it on a tree, Bigfoot may answer back. Like, is that like the Bigfoot version of like saying Bloody Mary a bunch? I guess. I mean, I'd never heard of it before, but he was like, I tried it. I didn't get a response from Bigfoot. But I guess right after he did do it, one of his EMF readers went nuts. Interesting. And he also mentioned like, while you're in the swamp, it does feel like you're being watched. He also believes some of the Bigfoot stories might just be hunters in ghillie suits nowadays. Yeah, it could be. And we brought that up in our uh, April Fool's episode that someone actually tried that once. So it doesn't sound out of scope, right? Yeah, it sounds completely possible. Like, I mean, yes, I agree. In the modern digital age, it's hard for me to get behind Sasquatches existing presently if there's no digital evidence of them, especially if they're going to exist in the places where they could be seen. You know what I mean? Like, it's not as though they're in a, in a remote area where there's no people at all. Right, right. And he brought up a story that he's like, one thing that I really can't explain in regards to Bigfoot is there was a story about a couple cops and their police cruiser in the 70s, and they were in East Bridgewater. And from what he knows, Bigfoot lifted the rear end of their cruiser. Oh, shit. And he's like, I know this because one of the officers was my friend's dad. Oh. And he's like, he's since then passed away, so I can't like get additional information anymore. But, you know, like he actually knew one of them. And when we were trying to look up more about the story, it looks like it may have happened in 1970. And there was a coalition of hunters and law enforcement officers hunting for a bear. And the bear was known to sometimes walk upright. And then that's when the law enforcement officers had their run in with what could have been Bigfoot holding up their police cruiser. And he was like, not anything can do that, right? Like police cruisers are very heavy. (laughs) You can't just walk up and hold it up. Yeah. Oof. Oof. I don't like that at all. Ever. I think that if Bigfoot lifted up the back of my car, I would just be like hysterically screaming and or taking photos. That would be the thing to end Lindsay. (laughs) I think just the Bridgewater Triangle in and of itself is like what's going to keep me up at night now. Just like knowing there's this like just aggregation of things in one area that is expanding and cannot be stopped. So in our future episode, we're also going to continue to expand and cannot be stopped when we're talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. 
Wait, wait, wait. What if it expands into Maryland eventually? I mean, that's just the Northeast then. I know. It's not, it's not, it stops being a triangle. Like there has to be some type of like <laughs> area mass where it, stop, where it stops being a triangle. You know, like it's just going to eat everything up. I don't, I don't care for that at all. At all. <laughs> I don't know what this accent is. I don't know either, but I love it. <laughs> but yet here we are. <laughs> How many miles away is it from you? Let's see. Let's let's figure that out so I can n- never sleep again. You have some time. I have some time. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Feeling good. <laughs> all of that is all very close together in my head since I'm on the West Coast. Like everything's kind of far. And when I think of East Coast, like everything's just this like jumbled mess. Yeah. So like you're pretty much in the triangle in my head. Oh, yeah. Part of it. You're trying to get me to move there. You want to. I do. If I type in Bridgewater to your house, it's only six hours. Woof. Well, there we go. I don't care for that. But Amanda, do you know what I do care for? Our future episodes that we're going to have on the Bridgewater Triangle. (laughs) We're going to start talking about true crime elements with the Bridgewater Triangle. And this is where I feel like the boundaries get a little looser. But again, if you have a Bridgewater Triangle experience, tell us because... I still want to put it in the episode. I want to know all of the things. I want everyone's experiences. Mm -hmm. And if you're loving the show, we would really appreciate it if you left us a review. If you do and you send us a screenshot with your mailing address, we'll send you a sticker. We also have a Patreon and we're going to tell you a little bit about that. We have four tiers. All Patreon tiers have access to the events that we do. Yep. So our next game night again is May 13th. We're super psyched for that. It was a lot of fun last time. I had a blast. Yeah. So we have four tiers. The first is $1 a month and it's our mitten tier. And so with that, you get access to both the Bat Bonfire, our patron only Facebook group and our Discord, which is a treasure and a delight, if I may say so myself. Also, if you're a Patreon and you haven't yet joined the Discord, I highly recommend it. I feel like people are more active there than they are in the Facebook groups. Yeah, I feel like a lot more people are leaving Facebook, but we're doing a lot. I I posted a few things today and then Discord's just been, like she said, hopping. Like we have the most ridiculous conversations, but it's so much fun. (laughs) And it's more chat room-esque, which I like. (laughs) Our next tier is $5 a month. You get what you get in mittens, but you also get a sticker when you join and then a sticker every year in your Patreon anniversary. There'll be different stickers. Feels like it's worthy of saying. And I just sent them out not too long ago and we're starting to see that people received them. Yeah. I love the pictures when you guys post what you're doing with them or when you get them and we definitely will share them if you post. Yeah. And whether it's stickers or it's merch that you buy off of our T Public site, which is linked in our show notes, we like seeing people out in the world creeping with us. So third is our Fire Yeti. It's $8 a month. You get everything I said before. You get a sticker. You get to be in the Facebook group, the Discord. But you also get our fall custom card. You do have to join by mid-September in order to get this just so that we have time to order them and send them out. And then our last is our Vortex Bouncer where you get everything we've said before. Plus, you can decide between a t-shirt or a tote when you join. And then you also get one every year on your Patreon anniversary as well. And you can switch back and forth between t-shirt or tote, whichever one you like. And you can pick from our designs that we have. We'll typically give a few options. And we've been told the totes are large enough to carry a lot of haunted objects. Yes, which is what we've hoped and prayed for, right? Honestly, like if your merch isn't carrying haunted objects, what is it even carrying, you know? Also, Lindsay, uh, speaking of totes. Yes. There is a giveaway going on still. (gasps) There is. 
So we have a post on our, on Instagram and on Facebook. You might have to scroll just a touch. But if you comment on the post and you follow us, you will get an entry into our giveaway. Also, if you share us in your stories or you just exist as a Patreon, you can also get entry. So there's a few different ways to enter. Be sure that if you're going to put a story up with us, that you make sure you tag us because otherwise we won't see it. But we're going to be collecting entries. We have an intention spreadsheet that we're compiling. So we're going to be marking off entries and collecting them up until May 31st. So you still have a little bit of time. But yeah, tag us in your stuff. We, we want to see what you have to say. We want to see all the things. And we also want to know, what are your thoughts on puckwudgies? What are your thoughts on Bigfoot? And, oh, I didn't mention it earlier, but if you were hearing the name of these cryptids and you're thinking, why do these sound vaguely familiar? That there's a big snake, a thunderbird, puckwudgies, and a wampus. That's because she who will not be named because she is a transphobe and will never be supported by us. Those are the Livermore houses from the American version of Hogwarts. So that leads me to think that it was at least in some part inspired by the Bridgewater Triangle because it also exists in Massachusetts, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah. And they did sound familiar. And I was like, why do I know some of these names? Yeah, I was like, these sound sim. I was like, what are the odds that it would be snake, big cat, big bird, puckwudgie, right? Like, it's yeah, the same ones. <laughs> but yeah, you know I love a cryptid. You do love a cryptid. I, I do. I do. And with all that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. For more information on our sources, please visit our website, drewcreeps.com. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram at truecreepspod on Facebook at facebook.com slash truecreepspod, and on Twitter at truecreeps. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps. When and how do you stop it? That's what we need to do. You cannot. It cannot be stopped. Dun, 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 Sasquatch.